Tonight we're going to continue our Bible study. This is our 33rd week, if you can believe it, week 33. 33. Uh, Our Bible study is called The Grand Scheme of Things. We started in the first verse of Genesis. We're working our way all the way through the Bible, uh, seeing the the story, the revelation of our Savior Jesus Christ uh, as revealed in Scripture. And so it's an awesome study. Uh, We didn't know how long it would take when we started. It looks like it's going to be probably at least another year uh, to finish up, but we're just notching out piece by piece. Tonight, week 33, our lesson is called Power and Problems. Power and Problems. Our verses tonight, and it's a big section of verses uh, as always, but for sure tonight we're not going to be able to cover all of this, but our lesson comes from these verses. Our verses tonight are found in the book of 1 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, and the book of 2 Chronicles. All the entirety of all three of those books uh, we've pulled our lesson out from tonight. So again, if you're trying to read and catch up over the course of the week, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and the book of 2 Chronicles. Um, The key point to our lesson is that godly leadership is a blessing from God, yet people are prone to seek and misuse power for their own selfish gain. I think this is a very timely lesson. I think it's a very important lesson for us to know today in our day as followers of Jesus Christ. Again, the key point is godly leadership is a blessing from God, yet people are prone to seek and misuse power for their own selfish gain. If you remember the account, um, Israel wanted a king. Israel had been watching the neighbors. uh, They decided they wanted a king. God wanted to be their king, but they wanted their own king, so God permits it. So now they have a king. King Saul is the first king. Uh, After that, he's replaced with King David. Uh, The lineage, the line starts from there. In the last couple weeks, we talked about the kingdom uh, splitting into two separate kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. Uh, The southern kingdom is Judah. So now, instead of having one king, we actually have two kings and two lines of kings running in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So they, they, they've wanted a king. They've got a king. Now the nation has split. Uh, ten of the tribes are together. Two of the tribes are together. And there's two lines of kings uh, that are running. This study tonight is going to be a survey, really, of that time. So we're going to talk about uh, what happens in that time. A lot of specific accounts we could look at, but we're going to move quickly and again just have a broad survey of what's going on. A couple things. If you have your worksheet, the first thing is this. Don't forget. Don't forget. First thing tonight to remember is this. Having a king was the people's idea. And they they really wanted to look like the neighbors. That was impressive to them. And they would see the, the neighboring country and they would have chariots and horses and horns and flags and all the stuff and foot soldiers running beside them. And that was impressive to them. Oh, that king and that army and the the splendor of that. Well, seeing all of that, they want a king. Why can't we be like them? We want to have a king. Well, the truth is uh, God was their king. God intended to be their king And that was to be their situation. That was his plan. Well, they, watching all these neighbors, decide, well, we want to have a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 9. Listen to this. 
Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you've grown old. Samuel would lead them. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they have said to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day which I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. All right, so they come to Samuel. Samuel, you're getting old. Samuel, your sons aren't fit to lead us. We want a king, appoint for us a king. God says that's not his plan. God says, I intend to be their king, but they have rejected me, and so give them what they want, give them a king. All right, here's the first thing to think about tonight, and, and think about for us. Think about you, think about our culture, think about the day we're living in. Why do people seek to fit in when God calls us to be different? Now, God calls us to be peculiar. He calls us to be different. He calls us to be holy. That's a word that means set aside. He says, we're not going to look like the world. We're going to have a different priority set. We're going to have a different uh, attitude. We're going to have different hearts. We're not to fit into the world. Well, the question is, what is the lure in fitting in? Why do we want to fit in uh, so, so badly? And then maybe a bigger question is this. Is this desire to fit in ultimately a rejection of God? You know what, I, I, I know what he has said. I know what it is to follow him, but I don't want to look crazy. I don't want to look weird. I don't want to look strange, and so I want to fit in. I've, I've come to this conclusion over time. We like to act like we're individualists, that I, I stand on my own, and I do what I want, and I'm my own person. I'm my own man. When the truth is we're actually pack-driven. Uh, we, we operate with the pack. We move with the pack. Um, this is a true story, and I, and I just say, go try this. Walk into a crowd. Now, you're at a football game. You're at a basketball game. Walk into a crowd and, and do this. And then do this a couple of times. I promise you, seven people, 14 people, if you'll keep it up, if you're crazy enough to keep it up, the whole place is going to be looking up. <laughs> we, if somebody does something, we do something. Uh, I saw a video, and it was, it was a social scientist that was doing a, a test, and he has somebody get on an elevator and go to the back of the elevator and face away from the door. And the door opens up, and the next person that gets on comes in, and they pushed their button, and they looked around, and then they went to the back of the elevator and faced the door. That went on a couple floors until there's seven or eight people on an elevator facing the back of the elevator. They have no reason why they know why they're doing that, whoever this first person was. We are pack-driven. Uh, whatever that is, I don't know what the desire to fit in. Um, it, it consumes us. Here's, here's the bottom line. For some reason... 
the world's opinion matters to us. I don't want to be the odd one out. And if everybody's looking up, I'm going to look up. If we're facing the back of the elevator, we're, I don't know why we're going to do it, but we're going to face the back of the elevator. Here's the deal. Why does it matter? Why does the world's opinion matter to us? In this day, man, watch the news the last few weeks, few months. We're going to have to be a people that says, if everybody looks out the back of the elevator, I'm going to look out the door. We're going to have to be a people that says, if everybody sits down, I'm going to stand up. If they walk this way, I'm going to go the other way. First thing we see, they want to fit in. They want to be like the world. They compromise to fit into the world. The world's opinion matters. So that's the first thing. That wasn't God's plan. He was going to be their king. Something else. Can you imagine rejecting God as your king? He's going to be infinitely wise. He's going to defend you. He's going to be the perfect king. Well, we'd rather have somebody with a big flag and a chariot. They actually reject God as their king. Second thing is this. Do not forget, part two, do not forget, as God allowed the people to have a king, he set the guidelines for how they're going to follow the king. That's what the last part of that verse says. Okay, you're going to have a king, but you're going you're gonna to deal with the king the way I tell you to deal with the king. God made a covenant, a promise with David that he would bless him, that he would bless his reign as king, and that he would bless his future descendants if those that were in the kingdom would walk in obedience. If David would walk in obedience, if the following kings would walk in obedience, and if the people under their leadership would also walk in obedience. If they will honor God, if they will live according to what God has said, God will bless the king, God will bless the kingdom, uh, and, and that's his promise. Let me read 1 Kings. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. As David's time drew near, he's about to die, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Keep my word, live by my word, you will be blessed. So that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in the truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David's talking to Solomon. He's about to die. He says, remember the promise. You walk in obedience. You lead the nation to walk in obedience, and God will bless the nation. He will bless the people. Here's the, here's the bottom line for that. Loving God, living to honor God, honor him, wanting to honor him, shows up in obedience to his word. Think about this tonight. The bottom line is not a declaration. Are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. I love God. I love his word. The bottom line is not some big verbal demonstration. It's not, it's not saying something. It's not putting a sticker on your car with a fish. The bottom line is this. If you love God and you want to honor God, you're going to obey God. 
And so you can talk big, you can say, we, we, we love this and we love Jesus and we want to follow him. It actually comes down to this. If you love him, if you want to obey him, you, if you want to honor him, you will obey him. In the New Testament, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's the same thing. If you love him, you'll keep his commands. If you trust him, oh, I trust him. Well, he says, this is what you ought to do with your finances. He says, this is how you ought to raise your kids. He says, this is what you ought to do in your marriage. He says, this is how you ought to treat people at work. If you love him, you'll keep his commands. And so your love, your, your attitude toward God, your view of God is shown in your obedience. There's a lot of folks that say, you know what, I want to I, I be in heaven. I love Jesus, but I don't think he cares about this. And I'm going to handle my relationships this way. And I'm going to live my life this way. And I'm not worried about that. Your heart toward God, your attitude toward God, your view and your perspective of God shows up in your obedience. Here's a question. Don't answer out loud. Here's a question. Do you have a desire to obey God? I want to be the dad that God's called me to be. I want to be the wife that God's called me to be. I want to be the co-worker that God's called me to be. I want to be the church member that God's called me to be. Do you have a heart that wants to be obedient? Loving God, wanting to honor him, shows up in the desire for obedience. So God says, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king, but you will be blessed as you obey. If you love me, if you want to honor me, how you show that is you obey my word. All right, next section says, up, down, and all around. Now, this is, this is really a crazy account. Following King Solomon, the newly divided kingdom moved forward with each group recognizing their own king. All right, so now there's the northern kingdom. Uh, there is the southern kingdom, Judah. And now here they go. They're moving forward, and they each have their own king. Uh, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Uh, he follows Solomon in Judah, in Jerusalem, as the king. That's his son. He follows his king. Jeroboam, if you remember the story, he's the former servant of Solomon who leads the ten tribes to split off. They don't care about us. They keep raising our taxes. We'll make our own kingdom. And so the servant of Solomon, Jeroboam, becomes the king of Israel, the king of the northern kingdom. Following that, all right, here we go. Two different kings. There are now 19 different kings of Israel, and there are 19 different kings of Judah, plus one queen who actually appointed herself as queen. Her husband was the king. He died. She appoints herself. Her son will be later a king, uh, but she appoints herself as the queen during this time. And so now there's going to be 19 kings of the northern kingdom. There's going to be 19 kings and one queen of the southern kingdom. Now, if you were to read these accounts, it's funny, just preparing today, I, I flipped over to a set of verses, and I read that set of verses and thought, that's the crazy thing I've ever heard. Some of these people were nuts. Some of these people were crazy. Uh, some of these people did the wildest things. Um, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if a nine-year-old ought to read 2 Kings, honestly, or, or part of the Chronicles. Um, there are wild tales craziness, chaos, dysfunction. Some of the kings served a long time, 29 years, 41 years. 
One king lasted one month before he was taken out. Uh, some of the kings of Judah and Israel worked together. They talked. Some of the kings of, of Judah and Israel hated each other, and they fought each other. So there's some of them get along. During this time, a direct descendant of David ruled in Judah, a man, except for Queen Athaliah, who married into the family and again appointed herself as queen for a six-year period. King, king, died, replaced, killed, run off, killed. Uh, you read the accounts. It, it really is a wild story. Here's the question. Here are three entire books of the Bible, and this one followed that one, and this one followed that one, and that one served when the other one was serving in Israel. Here's the question. Why do you think God records the details of these kings in his word? Why does he tell us this king, this king, this king? Why does he tell us the crazy stuff they do? Why does he just say there were 19 kings in Judah and then this? Why does he preserve the details, the records of these kings in his word? I came up with three different ideas. You may have something better than this. First thing is it's history. This is how it happened. This is what it was. And so um, God has nothing to hide. He tells us the history. And so one of the reasons is it is history. Second reason is uh, to validate the truth of Scripture. Uh, what if I came along and said, well, you don't need to know that, but let me get you to trust me on this. Or here's some things. This is important. This is not. This is important, and this is not. You'd say, well, how do I know what you're saying is important? How do I know I'm on a section that's not? Well, when he tells us what happened, and he tells us exactly as it happens, it gives validity to the truth of Scripture. This is what God has said. This is what happened. It is dependable. And then I think maybe the main thing is that we would learn from what happened. When you read this, you see they're all in, they're back out. They're following God, they're doing crazy stuff. I think we see the cycle of mankind in just these, in these books. I think we see the, the propensity of man to turn back to sin in these books. I think we see what our answer is to repent and turn back to God in the record of these books. And so I think the cycle here recorded helps us learn from their mistakes, help us see what our answer is. All right, from there I'm going to go in two, two different directions. First direction is this, the problem of evil leaders. The problem of evil leaders. Of all of the kings, 19 and 19 and one queen, the vast majority are described by God himself as wicked or evil kings. The Bible actually says, all right, Jeroboam takes over Israel. Every king of Israel was wicked and evil. That's what it says. Didn't come out of the line of David, appointed himself, started a rebellion. Every king of Israel, all 19 of them, uh, were evil or wicked in the sight of God. Twelve of the kings of Judah, so there's 19 in Judah, twelve of them are recorded as evil in their dealings. Now, if you read those accounts, some of their descriptions will say this, and they did evil in the sight of God. Some of their descriptions will say this, it goes for a couple of them. Their heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. Now, remember when, he, when, when God made the promise to David, 
Their heart has to be given to me. And it has to be totally given to me. Well, some of these kings think, you know what? I'll go down to the temple and I'll be all right down there. And I'll go over here and I'll do my own thing over here. And their heart's not wholly given, devoted to the Lord. Another time it would say this. And they walked in the sins of their fathers before them. Now, I think that's interesting. Their father was wicked. Their father was evil. You know what they did? They grew up in that. That was normal to them. And they also were evil and wicked following the example of their fathers. Some of the things they do, they set up false worship. They recognize false gods. They participated in and sanctioned evil and profane acts. Now, here's the deal. The nations around them, pagan nations, uh, some of these nations had been in the promised land. God ran them off. God, God took them out. And, and you know what? These folks come along and say, well, I kind of like how they do this, and so they grab that practice. Well, you know what? When they worshiped that one God, remember that time it rained, and they start worshiping that God. Well, you know what? We have an enemy that's coming. You know what? I, I think we might worship these two gods just in case that adds protection. And so they start to merge in false worship. They start to merge in false gods. In 1 Kings 14, 24, it says, They are following the sinful ways of the people God had removed from them. So instead of looking more like God, they start looking more like the world. They start looking more like the neighbors. I think it is interesting, and I'm just going to say it, I think it is very, very interesting, it's very, very telling that almost all of them, and I would say I believe all of them, all of these wicked kings participated in and led the nation into grotesque sexual sin. And when you read these accounts, you go, what in the world is that? Uh, male prostitutes at the temple, take your tithe, visit a male prostitute in the temple. Uh, statues of, of body parts in the temple, statues of, of male body parts leading your way in, uh, grotesque sexual sin. I, remember, we're supposed to learn from the pattern. Look at our world today. Look at our nation today. Isn't it interesting, the decline of your culture, the decline of your nation starts to see evidence of crazy, perverse sexual sin. Gender stuff, this stuff, homosexual marriage, all this stuff. And so you see all of that, and it's no different than this. The, the decline into wickedness is marked by sexual sin. I'll just tell you this, and I, I was looking at some stuff. The whole gender deal that's, that's taken over the last five years, ten years, especially the last two years, you, you do know that's sexually based, right? You know they're not saying, I think I'm a man for any other reason than to want to do the sexual things that, that were designed for a man. Perverse things are indications of the wickedness of a culture and the decline of that culture. It shows up here. All right, so here we got wicked leaders. The nation ends up being a mess. All sorts of crazy stuff. False worships entered in. Here's some questions to think about tonight. How influential are the leaders of a nation? And I, I only know this nation, so I just have to think about our context. In the spiritual condition of that nation, 
How influential are the leaders of a nation to, to the people, the condition, the spiritual condition of that nation? And I started to think about that. How much impact does this leader have? Do these leaders have? And I started to think about the flip side of that. Maybe the wickedness, sorriness of the leaders is a reflection of the nation. Do you know somebody voted for those folks? Do you know somebody sent them up there? We say, oh, this one and that one and this one's terrible. Maybe, maybe they're not so much of an influence on us as the, the revelation of what our hearts are, the people that put them there. So maybe the wickedness of the nation shows up in its leaders, and then at the same time, the wickedness of the leaders carries the influence with the people. I thought about that. Do you think the leader has a greater influence on the people? or the people a greater influence on the leader. The leader can lead and stir up and, and push, legalize, but at the same time, he's not gonna get money, or that person's not gonna get reelected, not gonna have this if the people aren't going that way. And I think the two things push back and forth on each other. The condition of the people shows up in the leader, and the leader, the wickedness of the leader, leads the people. Some of the reasons why. With great power comes a greater temptation for pride and self-promotion. And I don't, I don't care if that's a kindergarten class and you get to be the line leader. Uh, when you've got the power, uh, there's, a, there's a different change in attitude. Um, with great power comes a greater temptation for other sins as well. And I think what that is, they just start thinking we're above this. I, these laws don't apply to me. It's not going to matter to me. I can do what I want. Here's the main question out of that section. What should a nation do if it has evil leaders? And, 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 and I'm sitting there going, maybe they're, maybe they're local, maybe they're national, maybe it's your Congress, maybe it's your president. What should a nation do, what should a people do if it has evil leadership? How pertinent is that? How important is that? Um, there's a lot of things you might think you'd like to do. What do we do biblically if there's evil leadership? Here's a few things. First thing is this. First thing you do if your nation has evil leadership is you walk with the Lord. You walk with the Lord. You see, we're pretty good at pointing fingers at other folks. But you know what? Unless you're living according to what God's word, unless you're honoring the name of Jesus Christ, unless your home points to Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard to say, you know what? I'm here to protest the, the evilness in some other deal. The first thing you have to do as an individual, as a home, as a people, you have to walk with the Lord. I'm going to live according to the word of God. I'm going to honor Christ. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to try to fit in. First thing. Second thing, what do you do if your nation has evil leadership? You seek the Lord. And I think that's, we miss that a lot of times. We want to storm the Capitol, or we want to do this, or we want to do something. Uh, you know what you ought to do? You ought to start praying, God, you're in control. God, you're faithful. God, you're all powerful. And this isn't my last resort. This is where we start. Lord, you, you can bless, and you can see. You're the one that judges hearts. And so we seek the Lord. Here's another one that's biblical. New Testament, all these are biblical. The, this one's in the New Testament says this. Pray for your leaders. If you like them or if you don't like them. 
You know what? You ought to pray God leads them, speaks to them. If they're lost, that God would, would somehow put an influence and they'd be saved. You pray for your leaders. And, and you ought not do anything until you're praying for your leaders. Next thing is this. Walk with the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pray for your leaders. Fourth thing is this. Stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. In our day, it's an avalanche headed in the wrong direction. And the Bible says they're stumbling towards their death, stumbling they're going to perish. We have to say, you know what, this is God's word. And you know what, it, it's going to be abrasive to some. You know what, it's going, to be, it's going to be hated by many. But you know what, I'm going to have to go with what God says. In all these things, how I treat people, how I love people, all of these things are going to be influenced by the word of God. We're going to have to start to say, I agree with the word of God. I don't care about anything else. Watch today. Entire denominations are cratering. You know what? I can't go with the denomination. I've got to go with the word of God. Stand for the truth. Speak up for the truth. And here's the one that no one thinks of and that no one likes, and it's uncomfortable, but this is how you actually change a nation. Fifth thing you do is this. You evangelize. You lead people to Jesus Christ. You know how you change a nation? You lead people to Christ. You don't like how they think, lead them to Christ. They act evil, you lead them to Christ. Why do we expect lost people to act like saved people? More than anything, these days we're living in ought to cause us to walk around and say, you know what, I'm going to tell you about hope in Christ. I'm going to tell you about the forgiveness of sin in Christ. I'm going to tell you about a king uh, that's the one true righteous king. And if we will lead people to Christ, uh, that's how you see a change in hearts. If your nation has evil leadership, you walk with the Lord, you seek the Lord, you pray for the leader, you stand for the truth, you evangelize the lost, you lead people to Jesus. All right, that turns us to the next part. That's the problem of, of these evil leaders. What about the benefit of godly leaders? I was thinking about this. We're going to go through this section, but I'll, I'll just start off by saying this. What if we had a leader? who got out of bed in the morning, and, I, and I, maybe it's the president, maybe it's somebody else, and they got on their knees and said, you know what, God, I need you to lead me today. I've got these decisions today. God, I've been looking at your word, and I think these are the answers for today. Um, what if we had a leader that, that knew Christ to the point they could witness to the, to, to the hope that's within us, the, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ? What, can you imagine what would happen if the press conferences were, well, I was actually reading in Luke today, and it said this. Well, we've got this going on, and I was looking in uh, some of the letters that Paul wrote. Can you imagine what would happen if we had leaders like that? The benefit of godly leaders. Eight of the kings of Judah were considered good kings. How were they considered good kings? One way, they were led by God's word, and they, they didn't just wake up and say, here's what I want to do. They were led by God's word to reform the nation. The nation goes into crazy evilness. These guys, led by God's word, led them to be reformed to back to the true worship of God. When you read their accounts, first thing they do is they get God's word. And then they, they become sorrowful over sin. They, they are sick over the condition of their nation. It says they tear their clothes. One guy sits on the ground and starts throwing dirt on himself. The wickedness of our nation has broken his heart. They remove the false gods. 
they grind them up, they burn them in fires, they take them outside of town, they remove the false worship, whole bunch of them, the false priests that were making money and leading folks, killed them, took them outside, burned their ashes, took their ashes to another pile and burned them again. They removed the false teachers. They removed the false worship. They took all the idols out. They led the people to be sorrowful over sin. And then they rebuild by leading people to walk with God. We're putting back in the, the commands of God. We're going to be living according to the commands of God. Pretty awesome what they do. Here's something interesting. It is interesting to me, the things they do, as awesome as they were, were always short-lived. And I read that and think, whoo, they got it back on track, they're all set. They were always short-lived. Sometimes their own sons, I think I can only find two of the sons that actually went forward doing it, their own sons turned evil. So they reformed, they, they put the focus back on true worship, and their own sons don't even carry it forward. That's actually the pattern. Evil, wickedness, sin. Evil, wickedness, sin. Reform, turn back to God. Evil, wickedness, sin. Why is that the pattern? Why does that happen? I, I don't know. I, I sit there and go, God blessed us when we walked with him. Terrible things happened when we didn't. Why is that the pattern of people? And then I go, look at us. God blesses us when we walk with him. Why, why is it our pattern that we go right back? Last thing we're going to end with from that section, I go through and I look at these, these eight, and I find what are, the, what are the common things about these eight that we can say, here are signs of a godly leader. If these things are happening, you have a godly leader. Now, let me tell you this. This is for anything. A godly leader in the church ought to match this list. A godly leader in the home. Bible says, husband, you're to be the godly leader of your home. Well, I hope our president does these things. No, this is for your home. This is for our church. This is anywhere there's a leader, a godly leader is going to do these things. All right, let me walk you through this list. This is from these eight guys. First thing is this. They sought to honor God and not people. They sought to honor God and not people. If you are going to lead, you have to quit worrying about what everybody thinks. Um, when I was, it's been a long time ago, I think about 30 years ago, my first year in college, uh, I take a political science class. And at that time, I, it was, it was um, late 80s. There was a guy in Washington, D.C. that if you would pay him, I think at that time it was $5 million, which is it's probably 10 times that now, maybe 20. If you would pay him $5 million, he would go to your home district and he would poll the people in your district and he would come back and say, if you'll make your platform these things, I'll guarantee you'll win for $5 million. His name was Dick Morris. He ends up getting Bill Clinton elected. If you will do these things, they will support you, and I can promise you a victory. They're leading by taking polls. They're leading by saying, oh, everybody wants ice cream. Well, free ice cream for everybody in our district. A godly leader worries about what God wants and not what people want. 
Who are we trying to honor? You got to quit worrying about reputation. You got to quit worrying about the culture. You got to quit worrying about fitting in. A godly leader seeks to honor God and not people. Second thing is this. They were led by and committed to the word of God. They were led by and committed to the word of God. A godly leader can't just say, I'm smart enough. I've got enough experience. Well, my granddad told me these things. A godly leader has to say, this is the word of God. I'm going to practice the word of God. This is my this is my leading here in the word of God. They sought to honor God and not people. They were led by and committed to the word of God. Here's another one. They had a high view of God and his character. They had a high view of God and his character, which means this. They feared God. They didn't want to offend God. They didn't want to be on the wrong side of God. We live in a world today where we say, you know what, God can eat it. He'll forgive me. I'm not worried about that. I did these things. They had a high view of God. You know what? God is just, and he is mighty, and he is awesome, and he is loving, and he is gracious, and I so know him that I don't want to be against him. I so know him that I want to walk with him. They had a high view of God and his character. Next thing is this. They personally loved and worshiped God. Was it, oh, our nation's a Christian nation. They worshiped God. They loved God. They knew God. In your house, in our church, in our nation, we need leaders that say, you know what? Nobody has to mail me a card saying, we've missed you at church the last three weeks. We need leaders that say, I love the word of God. and I, I love to hear his word. And I'm, I'm going to study it. I'm going to serve him. They personally loved and worshiped God. Next thing is this, they had a correct view of sin and were sorrowful for it. They had a correct view of sin, which is this, it goes by the word of God. If this is a sin, I don't tiptoe around it. I don't laugh at it. I don't participate in it. Uh, one of the things I heard back in the summer was, was someone saying if there's a pit and, and the pit is the, the consequence for the sin, that for some reason we like to get as close to the pit as we can and go, yeah, but I'm not in the pit. Yeah, Bill's in the pit. You want, Bill's sorry, Bill's in the pit. But I'm not in that pit. But then we get a little bit closer to the pit. And we get a little, and then you know what? The ground caves off, and you know what? You're in the pit. These folks say, if it's a sin, I don't want to be associated with it. I don't want to be close to it. I want to flee from it. Well, that's weird. Well, guess what? I'm going to be weird. I'm not going to get close to sin. They had a correct view of sin and were sorrowful for it. Here's something else. We sin. We sin. People sin. People mess up. You know what we do? But you know what? What we do is say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. He does. God, I've messed this up. I've, I've wasted time. I've done the wrong thing. We are sorrowful for sin. So a, a godly leader had a correct view of sin, they were sorrowful for it. Here's the next thing. They took bold action. They took bold action. A leader has to say, here's what we're doing because God's led it. Here's what we're not doing because God has led it. In, in houses, in homes, dads need to say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to walk with God. You know what we're going to do? Not watch that. You know what we're going to do? Not go there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go here. We're going to be with these people. Same thing. They have to take bold action. It wasn't enough to say, wow, God's word is true. Wow, 
Looks like the best thing. They actually say, here we go, bold action. Next thing, they removed false worship. I think, I don't know, it's hard to say. I think one of the downfalls, I'll say that, one of the downfalls of our world is the idea of tolerance. That it's not loving if we don't tolerate all the things. And so if you say two plus two is four, and they say two plus two is five, our culture says, well, who are you to speak against that? Well, that's their truth. And their truth is true for them, but it's not true for you. And it's mean and, and not loving to not be tolerant of all people. You know what? They removed false worship. They took the, the priests out. They took the, the false idols out. A godly leader says, we're not, we're, not, we're, we're not worshiping that. We're not going that way. We're going to worship the one true God. They removed false worship. Here's another one. They led by example. We've just got one more after this. They led by example. To lead, you have to lead. That's the bottom line. If you're not leading, you're not leading. And so there's a lot of folks with a lot of good ideas for, for people to do. There's a lot of folks say, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. That's not leadership. Leadership says this. If I, if I say this is what God's led to do and this is the best thing for us, brother or sister, watch me and we'll be doing it because we're going to go this way. We're going we're gonna to do it and they lead by example. And then the last thing is this, they called people to follow. You know what? Let's go. You can do this. You know what? God's going to be empowering this. You know what? God is blessed in this effort. The same way, and let me just tell you this, the same way we could get everybody to look up because we're, we're packed people, we could say, you know what? We've got a mission. We've got folks to lead to Christ. God's word is true. If we'll live by it, it's the best thing. If you'd start saying that to your spouse, and if you'd start saying that to your neighbor, and if somebody would say that to their coworker, and if we come in here and we tell each other that, this is what matters, this is the priority, people get in line. People take the encouragement. These godly leaders called people to follow. What a blessing it is to have godly leadership. What a blessing it would be to say, you know what, that's our state. That's our nation. People that are broken over sin that lead us away from it. What if, what if somebody came out in Congress and said, that's a sin according to the word of God. I'm going to lead us away from it. What a blessing that is. God will bless the nation, bless the people uh, that exhibit that. Signs of a godly leader. They sought to honor God and not people. They were led by and committed to the word of God. They had a high view of God and his character. They personally loved and worshiped God. They had a correct view of sin and were sorrowful for it. They took bold action. They removed false worship. They led by example. They called people to follow. All right, all of that comes back to this. Up and down, get in, get out, crash and burn. Do you know there's one righteous king? There's one king that's not going to lead us astray. There's one king that will... Forgive us and offers forgiveness when we do go astray, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. All of this, guess where it's marching? To a descendant of David uh, that will stand on that throne and be the final king, and that is Jesus Christ. Our hope, when I hear that, I think, ooh, what could our nation be? You know what? I, I don't care. Our hope's in Jesus. Our hope's in Jesus. Our peace is in Jesus. He is our king. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand.
I'm going to lead us in word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Glad you're here tonight. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we praise you tonight. We thank you tonight. We're thankful for your word. And I pray as we hear it uh, that, that we're quick to want to take it in, that we're quick to tell you, Lord, we've messed things up. Forgive us. That we're quick to want to walk in obedience and that we would want to point to you. And then I pray this. I pray that our kids are learning tonight how to avoid the pit that would suck them in, the things that would crash them and break their hearts. I pray for our youth the world is going to lie to them, pull the truth away from them. I pray that tonight they're encouraged in how to stand in the truth. And then I pray for us in this room tonight. I, I pray, Lord, that we look like you, that we honor you, that we're a blessing to your name, that we lead people, point people to Jesus Christ. I pray for some listening tonight in a different way. I pray the same thing. Encourage them, bless them, speak to them the same. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Glad you're here tonight.